So you can see the impact of the COVID, the prolonged intubation, and the tracheostomy can be massive on the patient's airway, breathing, and swallowing. Recovery of surgical services during and after COVID-19 is very crucial at this point because we're never gonna work the same again, ever, in the NHS for various reasons. So welcome to the second episode of BLA Connections, A Clear Voice. This podcast is brought to you by the British Laryngological Association, the BLA. I'm your host, Natalie Watson, an ENT specialty registrar with a passion for laryngology and a trainee representative on the BLA Council. It gives me great pleasure to bring the experts to you to discuss the pressing topics of the day. With each episode, our podcast will ensure we fulfil the overall aims of the BLA to achieve advancement in laryngology for the benefit of the public and the wider medical community through research, education and training, whilst promoting all medical, surgical and rehabilitative aspects of laryngology. We will be inviting an expert to share their views, experiences and guidance to discuss and explore specific topics, breaking research and updated guidelines, cutting through the noise and providing a clear voice. For those of you who tuned in to our first episode, you will know we had one of the leading academic otolaryngologists, Professor Martin Birchall, who shared his thoughts and insights on COVID-19. Our next guest, Mr. Yakubu Karagama, is one of the leading ENT surgeons in the UK. He leads the Multidisciplinary Specialist Voice Clinic at Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital, London, specialising in general, adult and children's ear, nose and throat problems. In addition, he has a specialist interest in professional voice problems and dysphagia. He is a frontier in promoting and developing new surgical techniques to help patients and founder and course director for the Manchester and London phonosurgery course. He has authored and co-authored over 50 publications and our very own council member for the BLA. He was indeed first secretary when we established in 2011. Welcome, Mr. Yakubu Karagama. It is great to have you here today. It's my pleasure, Natalie. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this podcast about the COVID virus. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. So last time we listened to Prof. Birchall, who described very eloquently all the different aspects of COVID-19 and highlighted in particular the um, laryngopharyngeal and tracheal aspects of the disease. We finished our final podcast talking about uh, long-term sequelae. And I wondered if we could just revisit this with the, with the first question and really expand on it. So from your observations, what practical measures would you suggest to minimize long-term sequelae of laryngotracheal COVID-19? Right. Uh, I have actually listened to some of the uh, podcasts by Professor Barchel and um, who has really explained a lot about how the upper airway mucosal lining are affected by this disease. In fact, we're beginning to receive referral from the ITU to see patients who are presenting with dysphagia, uh, changes in their voice uh, once they are extubated. And a lot, a lot of these patients have had tracheostomy as well. So you can see that these patients that have undergone this COVID treatment, they've had triple injury actually affecting them. The COVID itself is a mucosal, it's an upper airway mucosal disease condition. So i.e. it affects uh, the upper respiratory tract system, which involves uh, uh, the vocal cords, the trachea, and uh, the swallowing is affected as well. 
So in addition to the COVID disease itself, a lot of these patients end up being intubated. And because lots of the patients that have had serious COVID uh, disease have other comorbidities as well. Well, that means that these patients are intubated for a prolonged period of time. Uh, our usual patients that are intubated normally is after a week, you decanulate the patient or sort of change to tracheostomy. But with a COVID patient, because of the severity of the disease condition, these patients tend to be intubated for quite a long term. On average, I would say 14 days, and there are patients that are intubated up to three weeks. Uh, thankfully, we've established a very robust system of tracheostomy to be able to extubate these patients and then decanulate them uh, gradually. So you can see the impact of the COVID, the prolonged intubation, and the tracheostomy can be massive on the patient's airway, breathing, and swallowing. So working together with the rest of the multidisciplinary team, say like speech therapy, respiratory physician, gastrointestinal surgeons is very important, is the key to treating these patients once they recover from this COVID. So we have a few patients coming to the ward now uh, that have been, uh, uh, they've completed their treatment and uh, in the ITU. So uh, from your questions, how, what we can do to minimize long-term sequelae on these patients are, it's very important that we review this patient as soon as they come off the uh, intubation or decannulated. And if possible, to uh, do a nasal endoscopy to visualize the larynx as well, because this patient may still have some ongoing laryngeal edema. And if that is the case, then we need to consider whether we need to do something like uh, refer them to a speech therapy or maybe even start uh, steroid therapy, uh, things like anti reflux uh, medication like proton pump inhibitors and Daviscan advanced. Some of the patients will have lots of secretions and like post-nasal drip as well, which can have impact on the patient's uh, larynx as well. They may require just simple things like nasal douching as well. So really, we need to continue to work as a team with other specialties in order to prevent long-term sequelae or to minimize it at least on these patients. Brilliant. So are there any uh, guidelines or information sheets you would recommend for our patients post-intubation or even post-laryngitis alone? Yeah, usually the speech therapists are very good in providing care after uh, the ITU or after intubation. And uh, at Guy's and St. Thomas Hospital, we have what we call voice care after intubation in intensive care unit. So this really explains how intubation may affect the patient's voice or throat. And uh, we have listed some symptoms that the patient will, will know that uh, their throat is affected, say they may have weak voice, breathy voice, hoarseness, sore throat, dryness in their throat, regular throat clearing, inability to project their voice. So all these are symptoms that the patient may be having some sequelae of intubation. So if patient has got any of these symptoms, the guideline is to uh, refer the patient to either the speech therapy or to the local voice clinic. And there are certain advice that we give patients uh, when they, uh, they are extubated or decanulated with the, tri with the tracheostomy. And things like uh, when to start using their voice and uh, avoid straining their voice as well, uh, avoid smoking or smoking a, a smoke area, and uh, to avoid long-term telephone consult, uh, uh, calls as well. And uh, take lots of water, at least two liters of water per day and uh, if there is any, if there are any symptoms that they're not sure or to seek help at an early stage rather than later. Brilliant. 
So what uh, follow-up would you recommend for patients with COVID-19 who've been intubated or who've had laryngotracheal involvement with their COVID infection? So there are two groups of patients that we're going to be having after the intubation or tracheostomy. There are patients that when they come out of the ITU, they will have symptoms. These symptoms may be uh, voice symptoms or still some breathing difficulty or swallowing difficulty. So it is very important these patients are captured straight away. So they should be reviewed while they're still uh, in the hospital. Uh, Either they're still in the ITU or they've been moved back to the ward. So they should be reviewed by the speech and language therapies. Uh, They should be reviewed by uh, the ENT specialists as well with a view of doing an endoscopy of the larynx because some of these patients might develop uh, granulation because of the long-term intubation. Some of them may develop vocal cord weakness from either uh, dislocation of the calcoarytenoid joints. As we know, some of these patients had huge, massive tube inserted. In our center, we put about nine, size nine tube for male and then H tube for female, which is quite a big tube. So that can cause uh, injury to, to the calcoarytenoid joint affecting the patient's voice or breathing or it may even cause vocal cord paralysis or granulation on the vocal cord or subglottic stenosis. So it's very important that these patients are seen while they're still in the hospital. COVID, we don't know much about COVID long-term effect yet. So I, 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 I will suggest or what I will recommend is all the patients that have been intubated, that we should have a database, a record of these patients, and maybe to do a telephone or postal questionnaire in the next 12 months, say at 12, uh, three months, six months, and 12 months. Because some of these patients may start developing some symptoms that it may be hard for the GP to identify what's the source of the symptoms. Take for instance, if the patient with COVID infection intubation presents to the GP with breathing difficulty six months down the line, it may be hard for the GP to determine whether is it pulmonary or is it uh, subglottic stenosis or is it as a result of vocal cord immobility, and this is why if we have record of these patients, we can actually uh, send them questionnaires at intervals. And if we identify patients that are having symptoms in this respect, we may invite them for a follow-up on endoscopy. So that way we'll be able to support this patient in view of rehabilitation post-COVID era. It's a great idea. So now that we are hopefully over the peak, we're looking to restart surgical services. How do you envisage us moving forward with the recovery of surgical services from COVID-19? Recovery of surgical services during and after COVID-19 is very crucial at this point because we're never going to work the same again, ever, in the NHS for various reasons. Uh, The COVID has taught us a lot of things, and I think it will be very important that we develop guidelines that we're going to be following in respect to uh, treatment. And just be aware that this COVID may not go completely until we have a vaccine for that. So whatever we're going to be doing now, we should do it bearing in mind that we could still have sporadic uh, infections and we may still be seeing patients here and there that are presenting to the hospitals with COVID infection. So everything that we do regarding recovery of services now should be with a view that we are in a position to prevent further infection or spread or uh, contamination of, uh, uh, of, of hospital environments. So the timing for uh, normal services is very important. I think now that we're over the peak, we shouldn't just rush into start seeing patients as normal. 
I think we should be careful to see that there is sustained decline in infection and hospital admission with positive COVID patients before we start offering routine uh, 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 procedures. And also, we should consider testing of patients that are coming back to the hospitals, even the normal patients, and testing of staff. Once we have the testing readily available, then that should be extended to more staff because we're going to be required more in the hospitals now to perform procedures and to see patients. And if, patient, if staff will be off world because they've had symptoms and they may not even have the COVID, then we may end up having shortage of staff in the hospital. So it's very important that staff will be able to have tests readily. And then the PPE also is very important. Even though we are over the peak, but again, we need to still be very careful and take precautions and wear the appropriate PPE uh, during the normal uh, uh, procedures. And then the availability of, uh, of, of independent uh, services is there as well. We know some hospitals are using the private hospitals uh, for seeing uh, patients or operating on non-COVID positive patients. So that uh, that uh, those areas are, or those hospitals are available for us to maybe start doing some elective procedures there on uh, non-COVID positive patients. So lo local coordination is very important that we coordinate locally among ourselves, the ENT specialty, but not only the ENT specialty, the nursing staff, the theater as well, because if we're going to start returning uh, to normal service, it's not just the ENT services that is required. The laboratory services is required as well. The imaging is required as well. So we have to be sure that everything returns at the same time. In the interim, some hospitals, including mine, are offering, are offering virtual uh, services like virtual telephone consultations, which may be by telephone or video as well. And patients are very, very appreciative of that. There is limitation of that without seeing patient face-to-face, -face, but at least a lot of patients, they really felt that, and they were grateful that they know we haven't forgotten about them. And the other patients that their symptoms may change, it may become worse so that we may need to see them early, or the symptoms may have resolved that they don't even need to come back to the hospital again. So you find that with a virtual uh, telephone consultation, there is uh, a, a, a positive aspect of it as well. And patients that require an emergency uh, clinic visit that can be planned uh, uh, ahead as well. Other areas that uh, we need to be careful and to look into as well is there's going to be a lot of backlog of patients and also staffing may be affected as well because we may find that staff may be exhausted and there may be some psychological impacts on social issues as well. So we may be short on ground as well. So when we return to service, it's very important that we return gradually uh, so that we don't sort of put so much pressure and then all the protocols and the guidelines that we put in place will be difficult to follow as well. And also other areas that we must not forget is areas for, of training because training for future surgeons is affected now because everything has come to a standstill. So we need to plan a way whereby during this COVID crisis, we can be offering at least a virtual teaching program for our trainees. Uh, and uh, on, when we come back again, we need to be sure that we know where we stop and then to carry on from there as well. So uh, if we, or when we come to uh, start surgical services uh, as a routine, communication between uh, the, every department and the specialties and then the, the management as well is very crucial uh, at this point. Thank you very much for your time and your excellent insights and outlining the recovery programme on our surgical services. 
And finally, what's the take home message or messages that you'd like our listeners to have today? Uh, the free take home message that I would like our listeners to go with is uh, do not rush back without adequate planning. And also, it's very, very important that you have an effective communication interdepartmental, and that is between your specialty, uh, the nursing staff, the management, the theater, the images, so that when you're coming back to normal services, that everyone is aware uh, that you're back. And then if patients require some investigation or listing of procedure, everyone is ready for that. And also, the third is the long-term impact on patients, long-term impact on services. We need to start taking data and inventory on how things have changed and how we can work in future to minimize uh, further disrupt disruption because this problem may reoccur. I hope it doesn't, but we may be having sporadic uh, infections and we don't want to be caught unaware. So everything that we do now, we have to be really vigilant and watch out for any changes and then uh, plan it ahead. Brilliant. Well, I'd really like to thank you for joining us today. Again, uh, thank you for everything you've done for furthering laryngology training and everything you do for your patients. So thank you very much. You're most welcome, Natalie. Thank you. There are new guidelines relating to COVID-19 and some written solely by the BLA and some in collaboration with UNT UK that can be found on the BLA website to ensure patient and specialist safety. So please don't forget to keep updated by checking out the website, www.britishlaryngological.org. You can download our app, BLA Connect, for free. We hope that you've enjoyed listening. This has been BLA Connections, a clear voice. Please feel free to email with any topics you'd like us to explore, any questions you have, along with any suggested experts you would like to hear from. Also, if you would like to contribute to these podcasts, please email inquiries at britishlaryngological.org. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you found our podcast informative. Please remember to subscribe to BLA Connections.